0: Okay, if you'll take a look with me at 1 John 4. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. Now, I told you that uh, last week we were going to talk about the testing spirits part of this. And um, that kind of language you hear about testing spirits... And I got to tell you, it makes me think of Ghostbusters and, uh, you know, hunting down spirits and ghosts and stuff like that. And we tend to equate spirits with ghosts because of the translation that usually turns the Holy Spirit into the Holy Ghost. This section is not about supernatural spirits, this section says nothing about demons. Um, it does mention antichrist, but he's already defined Antichrists earlier on. The testing of spirits is is, is drawing to mind the, the language of the prophets of old. That a prophet spoke with the Spirit of God. You remember that when the prophets are, um, are, are called and they go out, they are filled with the Spirit of the Lord. And a true prophet has that spirit, has that... Um, you know, that, that source for their message. And so this is more that you know, when you hear testing the spirits, this is more about prophets and proclaimers and teachers. It's not about the hidden world and, and you know, evil spirits. And, you know, we're, we tend to think of, of the exorcist and things like that when we hear this language. And I want you to know that that comes from our culture, not from this text. So what is meant by testing spirits? Well, notice right here that in um, uh, verse 2, he says, By this you know the Spirit of God. What's the this? But he says that there's something that identifies the Spirit of God as opposed to other spirits. Uh, what are the spirits? Well, as I've already mentioned, there's a background of the prophets. And by the way, the prophets, you'll remember from the Old Testament, there's always the true prophets and the false prophets. And and the false prophets um, are are the ones who who speak, there's always some contest between uh, the prophets of God and these prophets of these other deities or even one who claims to speak for God, but what he says is a lie and it's not true. I mean, you could have had a, a prophet in old Israel who claimed to speak for Yahweh, but he wasn't a true prophet. He was a false prophet. So John's saying that there is a way to test the spirits. He says, don't believe every spirit, but test them to see whether they're from God. The test he's talking about is, is, is discernment. That when somebody claims, and the reason why he says this, is again in verse 1, because many false prophets and there's your word for the prophets have gone out into the world he's asking them to apply the test because there's a lot of people claiming to speak for god but they're not if you've been in ministry for very long you begin to experience this people wander in and they claim to speak for god And you have to think about it when you encounter that. Um, You know, I'm talking about all ministry. Debbie can tell you this. You work in the church office. People claim we'll get we'll get phone calls from people who would tell them, "Well, God told me to call you." Okay. Well, what do they mean? What are they going on about? You know. And that used to unnerve me at first because I thought, well, how do I know whether or not these people claim to speak for God? I mean, maybe God did speak to them. Maybe God did tell them to do this. How am I supposed to know? And then I began to realize what 1 John was talking about. And then I got this principle actually from a movie called The Apostle with Robert Duvall. And he goes to the house of a preacher and he claims that he's there to build a church and he says the good lord sent me to you well this wise old minister who had retired finally just tells the apostle he says you know he says i don't know you i don't know where you come from he said but if the good lord spoke to you then the good lord can speak to me in the meantime i'll keep my eye on you and you keep your eye on me and the good lord keep his eye on both of us that made a lot of sense I thought you know if somebody is working for the same God that I strive to follow then there ought to be some connection between us I can't believe you know when when you look at Acts 10 and God sends Peter to Cornelius's house but he's also working with Cornelius to get Peter there God's speaking to both of them. He's not setting up an appointment and leaving one person in that appointment to have to figure out what's going on. Now, I could just dismiss all of this, and I could say, well, this is a first century. Those sort of things don't happen anymore. Be done with it. But listen, that's throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You don't want to do that. Because if you do that, you're going to close off the universe. God's Spirit's no longer active. God's become nothing more than science. You might as well ask, why are we doing any of this? John seems confident. I don't want to do that. John seems confident that the Spirit can work in ways that are not spooky, that are not mysterious, that are not hidden and veiled, but that there are some things that you and I can know. And so I think this is really comforting. John didn't really come right out and say, okay, here are the definitive criteria. But he does take us through a conversation and since this is a lesson and you've got to have three points, I've got three criteria, okay? And, and I want to show you what he's talking about. First of all, he, he says there's a confession. There's an element of this that's going to be confessional. An element of this where confession, by the way, is the acknowledgement or the, um, uh, the, it's, it's, it's the naming of something. It's the professing of something. John says that one of the criteria is this. Everyone who confesses openly his faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came as an actual flesh and blood person, comes from God and belongs to God. That's from the message translation. You can read it in your um, translation, however you, um, you have it there. The gist of it is still the same. That when a spirit acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh... And is then that spirit is from god and here we 're talking again about the spirit of the prophet we 're not talking about intangible spirits that are speaking okay and again, we kind of think this is the you know if you go exorcist with this, you know you 've got to get somebody to say something, and it 's like the magic words all right look you as I know as well as any as anybody that somebody could just come up and they could just lie to us you know do you say that jesus christ is the son of god that jesus came in the flesh oh sure yeah i say that well i guess if he said that then he certainly can't lie okay that's not what this test is okay this test isn't like holy water on a vampire or garlic or something like that that you know you can catch a liar by making them say this and suddenly they can't you know and they start convulsing and frothing at the mouth that's that's not what this means He's saying that if somebody claims to be a teacher, somebody claims to be a prophet, and they claim to be uh, motivated and filled with the Spirit of God, but their message does not acknowledge that Jesus Christ did come in the flesh, then he says that is inconsistent with the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God did not it did not deny the humanity of Jesus. And that's part of the problem that they're dealing with. That you have people saying, well, you know, Jesus could not have been human. Flesh is corrupt. Okay, and we can go into their teaching, but the the, the point of this is that there's going to be a consistency. He's also saying that you're going to know that somebody belongs to God, that their message belongs to God, that they have the spirit that belongs to God, if what they say about Jesus Christ is consistent with the gospel that we know. Really, another way to put this is, and I'm going to use a huge word, but this is the crowd that loves that. This is the Christological test. Okay. Sometimes we, we want to test people based on what they think about the church. Do you believe about the church the same way I do and we go through this little litmus test or we go through this little test pattern of of different, you know, items, you know, this 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 really we ought to start at a much higher level and begin with Christ. How do we understand Christ? Do we share the same understanding of Christ and then go from there? But what we believe about Christ, what we know about Christ, it matters, not only for our own confession, not only for our own proclamation, but to understand who we share fellowship with and also to understand who really speaks for God. It's not always obvious. People don't always start right off the bat and give you their, 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 their belief about Christ. And sometimes folks aren't even aware of it. But there can be some funny ideas about Christ. I think it was Dan Bouchelle last week, and I don't know if he said it in the Saturday session or Sunday session, but you'll hear it from me now. That you can have people in in some cultures, uh, practitioners of of, of Hinduism, for example, um, they'll convert to Christ rapidly. Easy. And the thing is, is because for them, Christ fits on the shelf very well with all the other gods. It's not like Islam, where there's one god and Muhammad is his prophet. In Hinduism, hey, the more gods, the better. Let's invite them all to the party. Let's worship them all. And so if you ask them to believe in Jesus Christ, sure, that's fine. But what we, we we the gospel that we understand, the gospel that's been delivered to us, says that Christ is unique, that he alone is the Son of God. And the claim of the gospel is, is that Jesus Christ in the flesh, Jesus of Nazareth, born of Mary is also conceived by the Holy Spirit and the Son of God. And in his life and his teaching, he affirmed that. And so I'm reminded of what C.S. Lewis said, where you can't reduce Jesus down to a good moral teacher. He either is who he said he is, the Son of God, or he's a lunatic, a madman, or a liar. You do not get a middle ground where, well, you know, Jesus might have been a good teacher. Some of that stuff was kind of brought up later about him being the Son of God. I'm going to follow Jesus because I really like him and he's a nice guy. No, no. He does not leave us with that option. When we were reading the Great Commission this morning, Matthew 28, he makes a bold claim. How much authority had God given him? All authority in heaven and earth. That's a huge claim. And that's how the Spirit testifies to Christ. And so one of the first tests we're going to have of the Spirit is, well, what's your view of Christ? The second test is worldview. Worldview is our sum total of how we understand things it's the it's the default perspective that we come from okay uh, the, the, the way i i describe worldview is it's kind of you know it's the default setting you know when you're um when your electronic devices are messed up and you're like i don't know what to do with these anymore somebody's going to ultimately advise you well reboot the thing you know, just, just wipe it down, just start all over, return it to the, to the factory settings. Just, let's, just, let's just wipe it and build it back up again, and then it's going to go to that default, and it's going to forget everything that you've said. When you and I are at a point of crisis, our default tends to kick in. What do we believe? What do we really have faith in? And really, in our everyday stress, it sort of kicks in. I mean, do we really believe that Jesus Christ is who he claimed he is, and do we live like that and have we put that into practice that's that's the challenge of being a disciple for John he, he describes it like this he says there's going to be a consistency in the way we look at people and the way we react to people because they're going to share a similar worldview that we do um is it verse 4, he says, you dear children are from God and you have overcome them. He's talking about the Antichrist, the ones that deny that Christ came in the flesh. You've overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So here he's given us a second test of the spirit. And by the way, he says here that the spirit is a spirit of truth. Um, You have the spirit of truth, you have the spirit of deception an attitude, a mindset, a, 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 a spiritual um, orientation, truth or deception. And then he brings up talking and listening. And I think that talking and listening is his way of describing what you have there in verse 5, a viewpoint. The word viewpoint's not in the original, but that's a good translation. You know, you and I know that there's viewpoints behind things. And the news media outlets, they're not fooling anybody. We know. We know who Fox News represents, and we know who MSNBC represents. And all this talk about them being fair and balanced. Forget it. We we know better than that. But, hey, at least we know. And as long as we know what their viewpoint is, then we know what? We know how to listen to them. We know how to hear what they say. And maybe some of them speak to us more, and maybe others speak to us not so much. Or maybe none of them speak to us at all. And when that starts to happen, you begin to realize, you know, I just I don't see things the way those folks see things. The more that we're with Christ, and the more we see the world the same way that our Heavenly Father sees the world, we begin to look at things differently. Maybe you've had that experience of being around someone who truly sees the world from a spiritual, from a godly, from a Christ-like perspective. And you know how inspiring and how encouraging that is because you listen to them and you realize they, you know, they're not perfect people. They don't walk three feet above the ground. They don't have a golden halo. But you begin to realize this person encourages me because they see things in a way that maybe they maybe they say things in a way that you say, that's exactly how I would want to say it, but I can't find the words. Or maybe they see things in a way that helps you understand a better way to see the world. And then you see people who their worldview and their perspective is just, you can't even relate to it. Maybe it's Maybe it's skewed. Maybe it's filtered. Maybe it's dark. Maybe it's negative. Maybe it's just discouraging. Maybe they're interested in things that you're thinking, you know, this is just not the sort of thing that's good or healthy for a person to be interested in. That's what this second test is all about. Because we begin to recognize that there's some different thinking going on. John says that There's going to be a consistency with what we speak. And he's talking about the apostles. Remember how he opened this letter? He said, That which was from the beginning. And he's going back to what they've always said about Christ who Christ was, who Christ said that he was, that he came in the flesh, but he was the Son of God. He says, That's going to shape our thinking and we're going to change how we see things. We're not going to see things simply in worldly terms. So he says, When when these people claiming to have the Spirit of God speak in such a way that it's not consistent with what the apostles have always said, then he said, that Spirit is not from God. That's a Spirit of the world. And here the world is that which is outside of God's kingdom. So that's your second test. Your third and final test is love. Notice what he says in verse 7. Dear friends, let's love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. Now, that's the gospel. That's the gospel in a nutshell right there. Jesus Christ in the flesh, the Son of God. So he says that you know, there, there, it's, it's passed one of the spirit tests right there, that statement. But now he's also equating that not only with the gospel, but with love. He says that's an action that shows love. That's proof of God's love. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our friends. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us, and this is how we know. Do you see the confidence there? This is how we know. He says, this isn't how we guess, or this might be a sign, or, you know, we don't really know, but it might be a good. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And there's the mention of the spirit again. God is love. And if God is love and His Spirit is in us, then loving one another is evidence of God's Spirit. He says, the the one who claims to speak on behalf of God and the one who claims to have a revelation or an insight from God but also demonstrates hate, such a person cannot be from God. Now, sometimes that's obvious. You know, with all the attention on um, racial problems that's going on right now, you hear about these these groups that claim to speak for God, but they claim that God loves one race more than another or that somehow, uh, you know, being unkind and prejudiced, that there might be some biblical basis for it. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. This verse right here shows you that that sort of unloving attitude is not consistent with the love of God. But sometimes it's 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 not as obvious both to the well to, to everyone that you know you know, sometimes we may be really for God, but we have a hard time showing love to others. Now I'm not saying I'm not just talking about being challenged to love people. But John is raising the bar, and he's saying, you know, if 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 you want to have God's spirit, if you claim to have God's spirit, then it's going to be reflected in the love that you have for others, and that has to be because of how much God loved us. And I think we need to keep that always before us. That that's you know, you know, what John is saying here is very similar to what James says when he says. Uh, you know, show me your faith by your deeds. And he talks about the real test. You know that you see someone in need, and and you just you know you 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 wish them well. Oh, I wish you well. I hope you, but you don't do anything about it. If we're not motivated to show love, and I'm not just talking about benevolence. Okay, I think benevolence may be a way that we avoid love. To be honest, because uh, benevolence is all about us doing a good deed. Love motivates you to do the right thing, and you don't think of it as any other anything else other than compassion. And not all benevolence is really benevolence. Sometimes it's a game, but we won't get into all that. Okay. Now here's the point: that beyond material goods, you and I always have the opportunity to show love, and it's not just a feeling; it's action. It's the way that we treat others. It's the way that we treat one another. It's the way that we treat strangers. It's the way that we treat, um, uh, it's the way that we treat people we know very well. It's hospitality. It's the way that we welcome the outsider, the person who comes in among us. And we were talking about this last week with uh, the, the uh, mission seminar. You know, the, the reason why we have missionaries in countries right now that are closed off to most churches and most people is because nearly 40 years ago, people in this city, in this congregation, some of whom are no longer with us, they showed hospitality and love to the strangers that came here as refugees. they welcomed the stranger people who didn't even speak their language and because of that now you look at what's happening (laughs) where people that we love very much continue to share the gospel in those places don't tell me that's just coincidence that's god at work in people's lives and in churches and in the world loving one another is evidence of god's spirit And not having that love is an indicator that the Spirit is false. In other words, someone talks a good talk, but they don't walk a very good walk. The confession about Christ, the perspective that we have on the world and ourselves and everything in it, and the evidence that our love is genuine, that it is not just our ability to love but it's the love of god that he has for us being reflected in our lives from reading first john 4 i'd say those are three pretty good indicators of the spirit of god and by looking at those three things you can tell whether or not somebody shares in the spirit that comes from god well in three weeks, Lord willing, we'll pick up in First John four and start moving into First John five and talking about the confidence that we can have, uh, because it's the whole reason that the letter was written. Right now, we're going to sing this song. If you need to partake of communion, it's been prepared in room 100, which is right out these doors, and it's the uh, it's one of the rooms out there in the foyer. Someone will direct you. And after this song, Ron Belote will dismiss us in prayer. So let's stand and sing.